Where else can you go to not only find the information on how to train your dog, but the best deals on training equipment as well? Standing Stone Supply has everything you need to create that next versatile champion from DT system electronics down to even emergency med kits to take with you on your hunting trips. If you need some help with your training program, then their step-by-step online course might be a great fit for you, making it a convenient one-stop shop for the knowledge as well as the gear to take your training to the next level. Hit up standingstonesupply.com and promo code GDIY will save you 10%. As someone who constantly travels to new locations out of state to hunt, I have to rely on map scouting before I even get in the truck. Onyx Hunt Maps makes it super easy for me to plan out my trips as well as track my success while on the trip. The offline maps along with the tracking feature and ability to add pictures to my waypoints means I can always reference old trips and hunts to better prepare for the next. When planning your next hunt, be sure to use Onyx to put you and your dog in the best situation you can. Use code GDIY20 at checkout to save 20% and know where you stand with Onyx. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. And part of the, I think a lot of people miss is the investment a breeder has in their litter. How much, how many hours did they sit looking at pedigrees, looking at, at, at different dogs' test scores? When it comes to them handing that puppy, it's not like, hey, there you go. We're, we're in a marriage right here. One thing we all love to do with our dogs is hit the road and go on new adventures. In order for that to happen, we have to be able to safely and efficiently travel with our dogs. Dakota 283 is dedicated to building unparalleled pet protection and tailgate lifestyle products for you and your best friends. Their one-piece roto-molded kennels have many options such as the Hero Series for military-grade crates, T1 low-profile kennels that will fit truck beds with tonneau covers, and their most popular G3 Series that's available in any size you'll need. Dakota not only offers many different sizes and styles of kennels, they also offer products and accessories to help with food and water transport, truck bed storage, and even grooming stations. Have a new puppy and only want to buy one kennel instead of buying multiple ones as they grow? Look at the Forever Kennel Insert Divider that gives you the ability to buy a kennel now and adjust the size inside as needed. No matter what you need to get you on your next adventure with your dog, Dakota has it for you. Check them out now at dakota283.com. Your new 283 lifestyle is just one click and free shipping away. Welcome back to another week of GDIY. I actually have a special guest co-host for the intro this week. I don't know how special I am. <laughs> that's, that's a pretty broad definition. Yep. Scott Caldwell decided he didn't have anything better to do, but come uh, come visit me here in Tennessee again and uh, figure we'd throw him on for the intro just for the heck of it. Yeah, it's always a pleasure, man. I, I'm pretty blessed with the fact that my regular job carries me over this way on a fairly regular basis, and we can sit and talk dogs and whatever else pops up between now and then. There's definitely worse perks to some people's jobs I than drink, drinking beer and talking dogs. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree. There's a lot worse stuff, but uh, yeah, glad you could enjoy it. Uh, I, I know that you've had a chance to... Uh, listened to part one with the carters last week and then yep. uh with you coming on the intro i actually kind of gave you a little sneak peek of part two to to talk about but uh before we get into what we cover on part two what do you think about part one uh, i'll tell you what um i've got a lot of respect for the carters 
um, not to get too long winded here, but you, you know, there's, there's one word that can sum up exactly what they do in the dog world. And that's passion, mm-hmm. absolute passion for what they're doing, what they're trying to produce, um, what they're trying to provide for their clients in the bird dog world. I mean, just absolute passion for what they're doing. Yeah. It, no, it, it, it is true, and it's a, it's a good testament. Well, I really enjoyed part one just because it was a little different. You know, it, we heard a lot of stuff that we've talked about and we've heard other people talk about over the years, but they provided us something a little different, a new perspective as far as being the right buyer for the breeder and not right. the other way around. You know, a lot of people think of it as a one-way transaction. The breeder has to service the buyer, and uh, while that's true, you want to find the right breeder as a buyer. You also need to make sure that, you know, if you're a breeder, finding the right buyer for your dogs as well. Yeah, absolutely. And the biggest piece there, I think, is um, it, it's their perspective on it is, is the fact that it's not them providing a service. It's them providing a dog um, for somebody that is, you know, passionate about the same thing that they are. Yep. You know, and and they're doing it for all the right reasons. It's everything that we've talked about previously as far as finding the right breeder, the breeder finding the right buyer. I mean, all the questions and all the individuals that are they're looking for puppies, if if you really kind of think about it and listen to that podcast and see what they're talking about. And when you run across that breeder is like, you know, Yep, we've got a puppy. Yep, here it is. This is what it is. This is why it is. And then that's the end of it. Yeah. You know, you got to really ask yourself what you're in it for. Absolutely. So so if you are listening to this and you haven't listened to last week's episode, part one, go check that out because that's what you're going to get a lot of good information. And yep. then part two, you know, we kind of expand a little bit more on it. And you just recently listened to it. So do you want to try and sum it up for everybody real quick? I'll tell you what. Um that is a wealth of information um, coming from a, a, a individuals that have been breeding for half a century. Yeah, you know, 50, really fifty plus years, fifty plus years combined uh, with what um, Blaine and Patty have been able to do, and then they've what they've passed on to Car, um, Jason for. Um, it, they really look at not just. All right, am I the right breeder? Am I the right buyer for the breeder? Am I the right breeder for the buyer? They really look at, okay, so what's the right dog? Yeah. What's the right puppy for you within circumstance? We all want to breed like a very even litter, like where you you literally could walk up and say, hey, any dog in this litter is the best dog for you. Yeah. But they take that extra step and and really kind of pair, okay, this dog would suit your needs the most. Yeah. So. And, and that really is an art, you know. That it is. I, I'd say that's very difficult, especially for uh, newer breeders, to, to really be able to distinguish the difference between matching a puppy up with the right buyer. And, and it really, in my opinion, you can tell me whether I'm right or wrong. That really kind of comes with experience and learning throughout your litters and getting the feedback from the testing and seeing your dogs, the dogs grow up and what the puppies are early on and what they grow into. And, and that's what you get from these, these responsible established breeders with the experience. Yeah. And, and I don't want to discourage any new breeders. There, there's it, much like the hunting world. I don't want 
Uh, you know, you think about the breeders, and ninety percent of your most reputable breeders are over that age forty, yep. fifty. You know, time frame, and you know, just because you listen to this and say, "Man, I've never done to that," but really think of it more like, "Hey, I've never done to that," but I never really thought about it like in that that yeah. perspective, and add that to your program. It's like when you get out of college and you're applying for that entry level position that says it needs five years experience. It's like, well, I mean, you're never going to gain experience until you get in there and do yeah, it. Until right? you get a job, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> you know, I mean. The biggest piece, I think, to take away from it, um, not to give up the episode, but really listen to what they're saying, why you're breeding, yep. and, and how you're 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 breeding um, a, as a whole. You know, are you breeding because you're trying to fund your next hunting trip, or are you breeding <laughs> because you're really trying to embody and improve the the breed that you've chosen? Or it's like Blaine says, why Jason breeds, and that's to steal other people's covers with their dogs yeah, later. That, you know? that is a possibility. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. Most 90% of the individuals I sell dogs to is because I want to know where they're hunting and when. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, man. So, um, yeah, so it, it, it's just another good, well, well-informed well episode really you, you yeah. can you can go a lot of different ways with this episode and uh you're going to come away with a lot of good information so i hope you guys enjoy it and and uh yeah scott since you're here i'm gonna let you take the honors of the tip of the week this I, week for I the listeners you're gonna do this <laughs> I'll let this, you this is for payback it. for the whole life advice with adam and nick <laughs> and stuff like that i knew this was coming down the pipe yep. so it, tip of the week you know um one of the biggest things I think this podcast embodies is your average everyday person who may have one or two dogs and then how do they train them to get to that point? And, you know, the one thing I don't want anybody to lose sight of is every day is a training opportunity every single day, whether that is, you know, um, you're doing your, your normal daily walk with the dog you're feeding the dog, you're interacting with the dog in your house. You know, like we talked about earlier, you don't need 40 feet of training table and 60 pigeons to get your dog to understand impulse control. Yep. You know, you don't need, um, you know, every bumper and launcher in the world to get your dog to understand force fetch. It, it, it's a simple task. So, I mean, if you've got time, and you're walking in a park and a park bench presents itself, well, that's a raised surface. That's an opportunity to train impulse control. That's yeah. an opportunity to train force fetch. Um, you know, part of our training schedule is that we go to the county park at least once a week. And what that allows us to do is we're interacting with not just, you know, hunting dogs, but other people's average everyday whatever. Yeah. You know, they're, they're poodle pointers, they're, they're whatever dogs, they're rescue dogs. And it allows us the opportunity to make that correction if, it, if required. You know, you're walking side by side on the trail and somebody else is coming down the trail with their dog at the heel. You know, what's your dog's reaction to that? Yeah. So. It, go, it goes back to that uh, word me and you like to say all the time, foundational. Foundation obedience. <laughs> that is... Now, what's the difference between foundation obedience and just basic obedience? There's no such thing as basic <laughs> obedience. No such thing. 
Foundation of obedience. That's that's all the things that the dog should understand on a daily basis. Meaning, okay, when you wake up in the morning and you get ready to go let that dog outside, is that dog bouncing off the door and like you open the door and the dog runs out the door? Yeah. Or do you walk up to the door and the dog sits behind you until you have the door fully open and you invite the dog outside? Yep. Okay. That's all very simple things that can be trained in the house, wherever you live, that is going to benefit you in the hunting woods, in the testing arena, in whatever your, your chosen sport is. Absolutely. Yep. It's foundational. That word foundation for a reason. Everything yeah. else is built heel, upon it. Heel can be done anytime. Yeah. You know? Um, from your house to your car, from, you know, inside your house to the, the food tray, from, you know, uh, teaching impulse control with food, yep. you know, yeah, I set it down and I don't, you don't eat until I explain, tell you, to. Tell you yep. to eat or in the middle of eating. There's a lot of people I know. I said, can you tell your dog, well, when it stops eating right now? Oh, no way, man. When I say <laughs> go, it's go, man. It's, that bowl's gone. You yep. know? So no, that's, it's a good one. Just a reminder, get back to the basics or AKA foundations. Uh, but yeah, it's true. Treat every, every day in every situation, like a training uh, situation and you'll be better off for it in the long run. So very good tip, very good reminder. And, uh, with that being said, thanks for coming on and joining us for this week's intro and guys, typical stuff, you know, go check us out on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash gundog yourself. If you haven't followed us on Facebook and Instagram yet, go do that. Check out our website at gundogityourself.com. And uh, please, please, please leave us a rating and review if you haven't already. Just like anything else, how are you know if you're getting better unless somebody tells you you are? Exactly. And if it's if your rating is just a little bit less than five stars, save the rating. Just send us an email at gundogityourself at gmail.com. Right. Help us improve. Yeah, exactly. So appreciate it. Hope you guys enjoy, and we'll check you back next week. Picture this. You just finished a long day's hunt or a long day in the training field grooming your next champion. You run through your entire string of dogs in anticipation for the next fall. You think the day's over. It's not, though. Your day's not over until you let that ugly dog hunt. No hunting or training session is complete without capping it off with one of the spirits from Ugly Dog Distillery. They're Michigan-raised and purebred handcrafted spirits. They have everything you need from vodka and gin to your more traditional after-hunt choice Kentucky bourbon. Head on over to UglyDogDistillery.com to check availability within your state. And if you have an upcoming event that's alcohol-friendly, then be sure to reach out to us and see if we can add another Ugly Dog to the lineup. We'll tell you right now, we aren't much on flavored whiskeys, but you have to try their peanut butter whiskey. Unlike other peanut butter whiskeys out there, Ugly Dogs is made with real Kentucky bourbon and not just grain alcohol with syrup. So after your next hunt or a long day of testing and you're trying to decide what to drink, reach for the bottle with Ruger, the German wire hair pointer on it. It was handcrafted by people just like us, dog people. Every adventure starts somewhere. Make sure yours includes an ugly dog at your side. Explore responsibly. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another week of GDIY. We are joined with the Carters again this week, Jason and Blaine, but we are also joined by their boss. (laughs) (laughs) Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? I'm Patty. I guess that's my title. Mother <laughs> <laughs> and wife, dog raiser. Dog okay. Raiser, dog, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm here just listening and learning. 
<laughs> well, you're, I thought you're going to come on and do the teaching this week, not the learning. Oh, okay. Okay. I'll do the teaching. Without <laughs> doubt. So I'll just help them keep on track. Yes. <laughs> so, so the episode last week, you know, we had a really good conversation, pretty much the marriage between the right buyer and the right breeder and the importance of that relationship and getting to know everybody. And, you know, a lot of that's going to bleed on over into this conversation this week and how we really determine the right puppy for the right family and, and selecting the actual puppy that's going into that home and that family. So, you know, clearly the, the first thing that, that has to happen is, you know, there has to be a litter and you have to start figuring out who gets what puppy, but you, you kind of have to start figuring you have to know how many puppies you're dealing with, right? So as a breeder, how, how do you start winding down that, that list and matching pups with, with potential buyers? If, if I could jump in, if you think about um, whoever is purchasing the puppy, you know, I mean, we have all of our questions and we're going to vet our, our, our buyers, but I mean, what is the buyer asking? What kind of questions are they asking us? You know, you know, I mean, are they asking the right questions? Are they, are they, are they the right type of buyer for what we're producing? You know, I mean, I think it, the biggest thing is, do they fit the bill for, for owning one of our puppies? You know, I mean, every breed, every breeder has, has a person that fits best with that breed. So, I mean, that's the question, we, you know, we're initially asking is, is does this buyer fit? one of our puppies, you know, that's, that's super important. Right. So, so typically every breeder is kind of a little different on, on how old the puppies are when they start the selection process. You know, wh- how old are your puppies when y'all start really selecting them for the homes? And let's start talking about the physical characteristics because everybody, like you just said, answering the questions, figuring out what each buyer really wants and what they really need. Let's talk about how in that short period of time as breeders that y'all get to know these puppies, y'all start lining them up correctly and what the dogs show you physically at that early of an age. Well, you know, it, you know, it depends on breeder to breeder, but you know, for us, just from my, my personal perspective, um, I like the owner. I like the, I like to have a communication. I've already, before the puppies even hit the ground, have their communication on, if they're in the immediate area, I like having them come in. I know we worry about Pavo and we're worried about disease, but uh, once those eyes and ears have opened up, um, I like so I like the owners to have an opportunity to see that development. May it be uh, zooming, or may it be some kind of video streaming of some sort, or an open line conversation on what I'm seeing. And it's hard to believe it, but you think about for instance, just the eyes, the eyes aren't open, the plugs are still in, the dog's not hearing, he is not seeing anything, but he has a sense of smell. You're seeing how quick they're going to teat, uh, how, 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 how strong they are. Uh, so there's some quanti- quantifiers going on at that time, and, the, and I like buyers that want to be concerned about those, want to hear about them, want to know those things. So Nick, when you're coming on, you know, I, I'm I'm talking to you. We're talking here. 
I'm getting a sense of, of, of how many days a year you're hunting. We're talking about how much you love hunting and, and the stories. And, and, and I'm trying to get a feel if, if you're going to fit one of these puppies. You know, and if you don't, that's okay. We're going to steer you in the direction of what fits you. You know, we, 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 it may not be one of our puppies, but we, 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 we've been in the game long enough where we know a number of breeders that maybe, maybe this breed will fit you. Have you considered this buyer, uh, this breeder? Have you considered those puppies, that breed? You know, and we can steer you in the right direction. But it really based on our conversations, you know. And, you know, when you're dealing with people, you know, they really want your puppy. So you're dealing with a car salesman. They're telling you a song and dance trying to get one of your puppies. So you're trying to figure out the sense in that puppy. You know, especially if that buyer. it could be a first-time breeder. I mean, he's got a female and, and he's hooked up with his buddy. The two of them have been hunting together forever. The dogs seem to be working. I guess I think you brought it up once. I just said if you didn't have a – if if you didn't have enough buyers, why did you breed? You know what I mean? So are you breeding just to breed? Are you breeding for a purpose? So usually some somehow there's been interest generated, right? And it's usually around either performance, depend, you know, you might be playing um, trialing. You might be doing shoot to retrieve. You may be doing uh, nav to work. You, or you just might be a, a hunter. We like to say a meat hunter. You know, you just want to get out in the woods. You want a bird dog that will stand a point. So these are conversations. This is where the buyer says, I'm looking for a good, I'm just looking for a great hunting dog that's going to live in my house. Right? Yeah. So you've got to fit a profile. Yeah. I I like that rule that you just said. If you don't have enough buyers, why are you breeding? I actually went through that uh, myself a a couple of years ago. My my short hair breeder, he called me back and he said, you know, there's a lot of people that are interested in a litter with uh, the female that he sold me. And uh, we started talking and I told him, I was like, well, if we have enough buyers, you know, I'd be interested. I just don't want to, you know, do this litter and not have enough buyers. And it came back to where we had like eight or nine people, but they all wanted females. Not a single person wanted a male. And and I, t- I told him, I'm like, well, you know, I don't, what if a litter comes out and they're all males? You know, what, what do we do then? And uh, so I ended up not doing the breeding because of that. And it, I told him, I'm like, you know, we just, we needed a better balance. It, it just didn't feel right. So I didn't do it. But, um, you know, also, Blaine, what you, you talked about when the eyes and ears open, you kind of organize a Zoom meeting or some kind of video meeting, or if they're local, maybe they come see them or, or something like that. That that clearly shows that you're starting the process of the buyer getting to see and getting to know some of the puppies. Because I think personally, this is my thoughts, this is why it's so paramount for you to trust your breeder and the breeder I kind of just steer to the breeder selection of the puppies because they get to see these puppies day in, day out. And they're only on this earth for six to eight weeks before they go home, right? So that's not even a big enough chunk of time to really know what that puppy is going to be. It's really important if you are going to select that puppy to do what you said. You start getting those videos. You start getting those pictures. You start seeing the personality of the pups, and you can start maybe figuring out, okay, is this puppy bold? Is it shy? Does does it use its nose? Something like that. So one of the things that you know is a pitfall for a lot of buyers is what is the color? Yeah. What does yep. that look like? 
You know, yeah. we're hunters. You know, we all fall, you know, as, as far as buyers go, 80, 90% of them go to the puppy that they, they, that think they think that looks the best, you know? Right. And, and if you, if, if I could give you one advice as a buyer is, is be colorblind, just look at the temperament in the puppy. Well, in the, in the developmental piece, you know, usually with the bias, we talk hunting or we talk whatever the game may be. But for us, we start talking. But there's a there's a developmental piece in there where the buyer, where you say you usually have the breeder picket. Well, I get scared on that. And I'll okay. tell you why. Because I think if you don't, one of the last things I say before they hand me that check, I says, are you sure with this dog that you're about to pick? And I, trust me, if you have any questions in your mind or any doubt in your mind at this particular time, I would like you to walk and I'm not going to be offended because I need, I need, you, I need you to understand that uh, if, you, if, the, if something doesn't go right with this puppy later down the road, you're going to say, well, the, handler, the, the buyer just gave me a bum deal, right? You gotta that, be- that is a good point. Yeah. You got to have some skin in the game, right? Yeah. Right from the beginning. Yeah. So, so tell me like, how do you really, how trustworthy are the puppies personalities at that point? You know, you're talking a lot of the time when people are doing these selections, you know, these puppies are getting selected at what, four or five weeks usually. Oh no. And <laughs> if you're low, if you got a good, good, good buyer that, that, that hasn't fallen in love prior to that, you know, that little, okay. that, that little salamander of a puppy starts crawling over and licks your finger and you don't fall in love <laughs> with that puppy prior to that, you're doing well. You know, <laughs> if you can make it a six week window where, where you haven't locked down and you know, that's great because yep. that's where the personality starts showing up. Well, and see that that's what I wanted to get into is, you know, you kind of, when people are selecting these puppies at such an early stage, I mean, besides some markings and possibly colors, and even those change so much on a lot of these dogs from such an early age, it's like, what are you really picking at two, three, four weeks old, right? There is something. Go ahead. Well, the, the, the personality of the animal Speeds, but between that fifth and eighth week, it surfaced. You see it in the, well, they like to talk about pecking. I don't call it pecking. It's just certain puppies need, they, they're more comfortable with their own, where other puppies may be always in the mischief and always off to their side. So this little personalities that start surfing right around that f- fifth week, that if you if you see it, you see it in the welfare bar, you say, because by then you're out of the whelping box. But my God, they're out on the open floor. They're out outdoors. If it's real cold, of course you have them in and out. So you have an opportunity to see how the nervous system reacts with changes of environment. It's cold outside. I go up here. I got to mm-hmm. get in. Uh, and other dogs will go investigate. Doesn't seem to bother them. So there's little personality things that keep growing in those dogs. And if I could back up just a little bit, what happens when they don't have uh, eyes and ears? What what does a puppy depend on? Depends on its nose. Its nose, yeah. Right. So can it find can it find its mother? You know, 
when it, when it's off, can it's, it's got to use his nose. It's got to navigate his way back to the mother, you know. So the, you can there's little little indications that you can see and play with early on. Okay, um, so that that's really go ahead, Blaine. I and 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 like he was saying, sound disruption. That someone drops a pan out in the kitchen if they're inside or. They're out in the kennel room. You're making up your dog dishes, and a dog pan hits the floor. So they're hearing these sounds. It's little. Are they sound activated? I mean, does did they get concerned about it? Did they question it? Are they strong about it? I mean, there's things that go in around the welcome box that gives you key to that disposition, that temperament, and that animal. At 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 at. Well, it starts right around. What would you say? Five weeks. Yeah, I like uh, if four weeks they start doing things, but after like five weeks, six, seven, eight, it's like he really gets to see a lot. Yeah, just a rut. Yeah. <coughs> right. So, so give me a round number. I know that you, y'all, you guys may know the exact number, but around how many litters over the fifty years that y'all y'all have been doing this have y'all whelped litters? I'm thinking just guess for double digits. We're probably uh, 15, 18, Yeah. 15 to 18 letters. Yeah. But people have to understand. Oh, no, we including you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're We're in the 20. But (coughs) we're not breeding dogs to sell puppies, breeding puppies. These are our next hunting dogs. Right. So y'all, y'all aren't pumping out litters no. two or three times a year like a lot of other breeders are. We're we're, we're we're producing the dogs that we want to hunt with. Right, right, absolutely. And, excuse me. We may have a litter. Um, speculation wise, this this combination looks really good. Let's try it, and we'll um, good genetics. But if it doesn't work out, and so we tweak it, we try the next litter that we're going to keep, and we we try breeding to a different male because we always have the females in house. And, uh, and that, you know, maybe exactly what we're looking for. So, I mean, that's, we're producing very, very nice dogs, but we have in our mind that perfect dog we want to achieve. So that's what. Absolutely. And that's what, that's what every breeder should be after is a perfect dog. But what I'm curious is, you know, between all, all of y'all, y'all have done, you know, 20 something litters. What you just said, Jason, with the with the nose before the eyes and ears even come in, have you just in your experience seen a correlation between a dog when it's all said and done and they're grown up have a stronger sense of nose or use of nose if they were earlier on quicker to find mom with the nose or something like that in the whelping box? Yeah, we have seen that, um, especially in our recent letters. Um, what, what the, the, the accuracy and the use of the nose and the ability of the nose, um, had far exceeded our expectations. And so when you, when you get a puppy like that, when you get the breeding like that, you know, then you're stuck in the situation of how do I hold on to that? Right. You know, I mean, I, I have the talent I need. I got all the talent I need and I want my next puppy and I want to build upon that and I don't want to back up. So yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you, you, we 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 actually are in a situation right now that we have super long noses, super strong pointing, and 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 we're, we're looking for that next sire that's gonna that's gonna complement that, you know. But it isn't it, the the kicker. The kicker for from the from the first days I started breeding, 
I mean, I've been breeding short from starting with short ears. I started in Weimaraners, but I got out of them early. I'm not to, I have, hopefully anyone don't shoot me. I just, I just, <laughs> if, if that, that Weimaraner had, had done what it needed to do, I would be with them today. It happened to be a shot here that I had my most success with. So anyways, those particular dogs were the most ugly-looking, physical dog you ever wanted to see. Houndy, big-boned. I think I had one that was cowhawked even. I don't know. And it was it, it was a learning experience. So I had multitude of things. But the thing that I didn't <laughs> like about them, even though they were talented, was sensitivity, softness in their dispositions, uh, trainability, uh, uh, taking on hard jobs or getting uh, start pushing the button a little bit and they go submissive. Uh, there was little things. The balance wasn't there in the dog that, that we're looking for today. So now we're trying to say we don't want to change. We, we want to breed correct to correct. Absolutely. I don't, I don't want to breed a dog. Uh, say, I'm just, I need more power. I need more drive. So I'm going to go to this dog. We need to breed correct. So we now have hunting dogs that we go to the field and we seem to get to the birds early. They start the point. They gravitate to it. They seem to have all the talents. Their water drive seems to be where it is. But that that perfect balance, that that on and off switch, that's so important. Like no whining in the blind, being able to walk at heel in a decent distance down to a blind in a test environment or when, when everything like you're – hunting down to a pond you're trying to hike into it and you know it's just loaded with ducks and you're going to jump shoot it but the dog is fighting with you all the way down because he knows it too right well there's a little balance Mm -hmm. in there and if i could ever get that perfect i'll come to see you (laughs) but it's yeah so we went to um Canada and we were visiting a gentleman named Jean-Pierre Turgeon and he uh, started the kennel named Stradivarius and he had some connections in Germany. So we had just got our first German dog, Aspen. We, we I think you guys talked about last, last time. Yeah. And uh, she was um, driven. She was very, a very hard dog to train. She had tons of drive. She had tons of talent, but we didn't have the skills or we didn't know how much skills we needed to apply early to to achieve what we needed with Aspen. So we went up to Jean-Pierre for the weekend. Blaine was putting on a training clinic, and we said, okay, so if we breed Aspen to somebody dead, we probably will have exactly what we want in the middle. And he said, no, 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 no. You do not understand. You breed correct. You breed to what you want, and you will get what you want. So that was to me, that was like an like the light bulb. Okay, I get it. You know, it's not it's not hot, cold, and you get warm. You breed to to what you want, and you'll get it. So and Nick, so so that brings up a question as far as the buyer goes. You know, I mean, when you're asking a breeder, I mean, what do you have? You know, what you you bred to this female? Why did you breed to that female? What are you hoping to yeah. achieve from that breeding? And that that will shed a lot of light into what you have. I mean, well, it was um, Sophie who was the kennel over, and my male jumped the fence, and that so we had puppies. Or it was <laughs> this is why we bred that way. So I mean, there's a lot yeah. of conversation that can happen that that will yeah, kind of absolutely in that direction. And these are the, and, and that, 
Well, go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I, I was just going to say, you know, that, that kind of goes into what we talked a little bit about last week about kind of tr- matching up the right buyer with the, uh, with the right line and the, and the right pairing, because, you know, at the end of the day, we all want the perfect dog, but not every pairing is going to be that perfect dog. You know, every pairing could be building to that next breeding that hopefully produces that, that perfect dog. Right. Uh, so, you know, to me, that's what's so important when you start talking about these breeders and you pick the line and then you eventually get to picking the puppy is lining the correct dog up with your goals. Because we talked last week, I'm I'm a grouse and woodcock hunter. That's what I love to do. I'll, I'll hunt ducks, but I do it on the side. Another person might come to you and that's their primary goal is to hunt ducks and track deer, right? So even though that you're trying to create the best balanced dog that you can out there you you're still going to have some pairings that line up with that person that duck hunts and tracks more so than mine occasionally so one of the things that you just brought up which is super important is does the dog have the physical attributes to support that type of hunting so if you're yep. if, if you're talking about northeast uh sea duck hunting you know, you're going to need a dog that has the coat and the temperament to handle waves, to handle cold water, to handle long days on, on the ledges. Um, if you have a dog that's running field trials, you need a dog that, that's going to push out. It's going to work work big for you. So, I mean, it's, it's you really got to match your breeder for what you want to do. And it's super important. Right. As far as physical attributes go, they got to support what you're doing. You know, I mean, yeah. a, a solid black a uh, nice, beautiful dog down south is going to, you're going to struggle with that dog, you know, yeah. and, and, and you probably have a little more um, luck up here, but still, you know, a solid black dog is a hot dog on a 70, even a 70 degree day, you know, I mean, they struggle. So you Absolutely. need to figure out what's, what, what physical attributes you want in the dog too. I mean, beyond the, the, the normal, you know, you want these tight hips and you want the tight eyes, but you know, I mean, what, what is the color, you know, that, that, that does, that color does affect your hunting, you know, and if it's it's affecting, affecting what you want to do with the dog, then you're going to need those physical attributes that support that. Hey, Nick, uh, Mm -hmm. going back a little bit, because we're talking about now I'm going to go pick a puppy. I'm, I'm, I'm buying a puppy at this particular time. Yes, sir. Things like I said, when you get in the zoom or the person comes, looks at the puppies, he's making an assessment. He's seeing how they interact. He's put his hands on them. He's felt the strength of them. So the next time he comes back, he can see the growth distance. Are they getting stronger? Are they healthy? What's the, what's the kennel providing? I love those conversations because those conversations, the breeder is, I think, to be a conscientious buyer, the, the breeder should bring a service to the to the game. He should want those puppies to be the best puppies he's produced. So there's service like in the discussions. Well, geez, I went hunting last fall, and uh, I did have some problems in the late season. Uh, she was crowding birds. So the conversation is, is so there's an open dialogue. The, the buyer and the and and the breeder now now are, are conversing. So when this puppy goes home, is that line going to stay open? Absolutely. And I think yeah, bring that to the to the to the surface. 
And, and you you bring up uh, another good point. You know, let's let's stick with the guy that probably there's two examples. Use me, and then let's just call him Bob. Uh, you know, I'm a grouse and woodcock hunter. I want to upland hunt, but then you got Bob who he primarily wants to duck hunt and maybe track some deer here and there. Uh, the upland hunting's not as big of a deal for him, but you know he'll do it. So I'm coming to look at a puppy. You just, Blaine, you just spoke to the strength. You know, what would you say if I'm coming to look at the puppy, in y'all's opinion, should I be looking for as opposed to Blaine who, or Bob, who should probably be looking at the strength and the coat and the development on all that? Like, you know, I'm probably going to be more interested in that use of nose that you're talking about earlier. Maybe the cooperation or, or just how intelligent it is really over maybe the strength to fight the the waves and the cold and stuff like that you know is am i on the right track here or would y'all kind of direct me in a completely other way well let's say let's say i was going into it i mean it could be a lab letter i don't care i mean wherever they 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 happen to be going going with what i would be looking for is is probably i would be looking for more for that kind of weather i'd be looking for more mass in the puppy a little more heavier bone, a little more thickness of coat. I'd be looking at a whole different perspective as well as I want to see him mouthy. I want to see that retrieving drive coming early in that dog, wanting things in its mouth and and True. looking for that. And then the in the hand and and the 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 puppy person with the puppy should be saying, um I, I would go. I would. You might want to look at this one. This one doesn't seem to have what this one has. And this is what I've been seeing. So there's a communication that needs to come on that I think oh, yeah. is so important. And I want to look for a breeder that that does all those things. Whatever I want, you know. If that breeder does all my games, great. Because if he's been in the game long enough, he's produced what works for him. Or oh her. yeah, yeah. So I mean, they're right. going to produce a litter that works for them. It's going to work for me. But if you don't find yeah. that breeder that, you know, they, they put out a lot of puppies, but they don't play your games, they may not produce right. the trades you're looking for. And there are, For sure. And, oh, sorry. There are, I mean, buyer beware. I mean, really, in this market today, especially with this COVID thing, uh, I mean, we've got we've, – I've heard some really awful stories. I mean, one, one story was a, a particular uh, breeder uh, – you never see its kennel. Tells you you've got great dogs. He'll even deliver them right to your house. Here's your puppy. Hand it to you. You'll pick them out, hand them right to you. I mean, and sometimes there's some real horror stories attached to it as well. So I think I can imagine. that's why I, I believe that that communication and that honesty is, is something that, that tears, makes a difference between a good breeder and a good puppy buyer. And it, they need yeah. to that communication and here, here, here here's the question to ask if you had a weakness in your in your line what would that be exactly what are you trying to improve on readers are going to struggle with that question oh yeah and, and to to kind of caveat off your point just a minute ago jason is you know if you find the breeder that that plays the games that you want to that 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 is kind of where my standpoint comes from is i found the breeder I trust the breeder. He does what I'm doing. He's producing what I want. So to me, I'm not even going to worry about picking the 
the puppy. I want the breeder to match me with the puppy. And, you know, but Blaine made a good point. You kind of want some skin in the game to where you want the person to say that he has 100% satisfaction. So at the end of the day, you produce the litter. Say there's six pups on the ground and I'm a buyer. I have to pick a puppy. You know, you know my goals. You know, it's like, okay, well, kind of guide me through this. Or at the end of the day, does it truly not matter? Because, again, we pick the right line and the right breeder. You know, there's a balance between it. You know, Nick, I know you're, let's let's say you're a breeder. Okay. We've we've known each other a long time. I've I've bought puppies from you. I'm I'm really happy with what I got, you know, and I want to duplicate. I want to replicate, you know, all the successes I had previously. Okay. So I'm going to you to get that, you know. Everybody thinks buy like the twin of what they're, they're trying to buy the twin you know every dog's different the mirror image yeah yeah, yeah it's, it, it this doesn't happen but you know i'm going to you and you know what i know that you have my best interest okay and you're going to fit me with the puppy that works for my lifestyle because you know me and i know you but you know we don't all start that way you know we, we get we're, we're, we're investigating all kinds of breeders so we start uh, the run-of-the-mill person that just says hey nick i'm so-and-so you know, I, I really think you've done, a, I've done my homework. I know that all of the work that you've done, you produce really nice puppies. I would like one of your puppies, you know, at that point you're, you're picking the litter, you know, and you're, you're, you're picking those genetics and you're going to get something in that realm. Okay. And then your breeder who's lived with those puppies. And if you haven't been able to meet them or you've done your, you know, they send you videos and you kind of got an idea. You know, you talk to your breeder and they said, Hey, I think this is going to fit you. You know, that's, that's, that's the best you can do unless you live close and you can go meet them and then you can do the whole shebang and get an idea of what's going on. And to be an honest breeder, um, I have not seen the perfect puppy yet and I don't think I've got it. You know, it's it's still, you know, like Russian roulette. Even no matter how good that you think they are, this you never know how it's going to. I I, I can't tell you how many times I, I've said to someone, you know what, this is going to be this in this puppy, and you're going to love it. And then it's like twice the size, or you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I thought I had it, but it, no. It, <laughs> or you so. This is the right match. I'm going to tell you, this puppy is going to fit the bill. And then you see the puppy right about uh, six months, seven months of age, and you go, oh, oh, crap, did I go? (laughs) (laughs) Horsepower for you. (laughs) So I I have to ask, all right, you know, uh, I said it earlier in, in, in this episode was six to eight weeks the puppies are going home and it's it's like you know that that's still kind of the the rule of thumb most breeders i would say nowadays are eight weeks i'm hearing more and more you know 10 weeks even what where do you guys stand on how old the puppy should be before they start going home and do y'all have a preference do y'all think there's a benefit to sticking it around the litter uh a little bit longer than six or eight weeks that's a huge commitment <laughs> <laughs> for the yep. breeder. Um, if if yeah. you have breeders puppies in 10 weeks, that is a huge commitment of time, energy, uh, just huge. Um, personally, I, w- we let ours go seven to eight weeks. Um, 
they are so very well socialized at that point. And the reason you want to keep them, the, the scientists and the, and the behaviorists will tell you to the 10 weeks is for the social end of it. Mom is still continuing to teach that puppy something Oh yeah. from, from the time they're born to the time they leave their home. And to dep- I've heard many people that they'll take the mom away because so they want her wiener. They want her to dry up quicker so they can go hunting. And that's the worst thing you can do. Mom continues to teach. If it's eight weeks, if it's nine weeks, if it's 10 weeks, allow the mother to continue to, to, you know, you watch them. She'll yell at them. She'll bark at them. She'll bite them, but they understand. <laughs> they know how to avoid it. They, they, they obey their mother. You want to say something? Yeah. You really want to say something. <laughs> okay. What, if, if you want to know how to be a dog trainer, watch that, watch that mother. Watch mama. Yeah. Because if you watch her, she's going to say no. And, and she's going to mean it. And then she'll <laughs> force the, the puppy. You're okay. Okay. I said, don't yeah. touch me. And now that you didn't, you're okay. You know, and, and as trainers, if you really watch that mother puppy interaction, that, 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 that will teach you so much about how to train dogs. I mean, exactly. if, if you ever read uh, Ed Bailey's, Ed, Ed probably going to scream at me for this one. <laughs> but, uh, I think eight weeks because of law is, is they say that's when you go. And if you wanted to push it a little bit further, you probably could get away with it. But I, I don't like when that hard pecking starts because the subordinate puppies get pushed around a little bit. I'd rather have those subordinate puppies develop themselves rather than get pushed around in the litter and, and start not yeah, – I think it can steal some of their reassurance in themselves. So I like to try to get them out when that starts. And, and that's the main reason why we let them out like at eight, eight to nine, because if that's at pecking, I, I, it's time for it, that puppy to be with an owner. And as a good breeder, when that person leaves your home with that new, that new puppy, eight weeks, nine weeks, six weeks, seven, not, not six weeks, seven weeks, um, you've given them a lot of tools to go home with and you give them instructions and you will call and you will, I mean, we send out, we send videos you know, almost daily, you know, when they were in the, in the litter and at least once or twice after with weekly, we'd send, I, cause I had one of the puppies in my last litter. So I showed my buyers what I was doing. So I made them achieve higher levels of skill than they ordinarily would, but I guided them through it. And that's a breeder's responsibility. It is not over when that puppy leaves your door. Oh, I cannot tell you. I we Patty had a litter and I had a litter at the same time. I have never seen so much poop in all my life. <laughs> <laughs> I I kind of have had to go into therapy, but I'm a conscious. <laughs> but um, I can remember um, um, video streaming the puppies with a buyer and handling them and interacting with them and talking and and they would uh like dan mission for instance dan would go i mean he was crazy he says could you pick up that uh the one with the two brown spots around the ear there <laughs> you know so i pick up the puppies and he says put it in your lap i want you to put it upside down so he he was doing he wanted me to stress it a little bit and then he wanted to see how he's going to react uh, now do it with that one over over here to the right you know well, that was 
just to do that and to have that conversation with him. And then he would put out, well, this is what I like. And this was what I'm hoping in the dog. And then I would put out, well, this is what I've got with mom, you know, and this is what I know about dad. But knowing that the mother line is going to pull an awful lot, uh, this is this is how I look at it. And then we had these conversations, and it, that was so much fun. And, and part of the, I think, a lot of people miss is the investment a breeder has in their litter. You know, mm-hmm. how many years did they get to the point they're at? How much, how many hours did they sit looking at pedigrees, looking at, at, at different dogs' test scores? I mean, when it comes to them handing that puppy, it's not like, hey, there you go. You know, yeah. I'm giving you a puppy, <laughs> but you're not getting away. I mean, we're, no. we're, we're, we're in a marriage right here. Exactly. No, absolutely. And, and so, Blaine, I, I really liked what you're talking about, you know, the buyer that was asking you to, to do the, you know, flip the dog on its on its back and stress it out to see it, see the reaction or if it would submit or something like that. What what are some of the other tricks that y'all have seen some people do? You know, I've heard some people do some crazy stuff, everything from, you know, bringing Vienna sausages with them to see the dog smelling and tracking with it. Like, you know, walk us through some of those tricks. Yeah. So. Um, one of, uh, we only sell the hunting homes, but I had a, a main search and rescue instructor come and, and, and I'm like, all right, I'm going to sell you a puppy because, you know, it, it was important and, you know, yeah. and it's been fantastic. I can't tell you how amazing it's been. That dog has found cadavers underwater. That dog has, yeah. that dog has, um, found so many people that have been lost in the North Main Woods. It's been su- such a treat um, um, seeing that play out. But he came in and he sat down, he took an umbrella over the whole litter and started opening and closing the umbrella to see if any dog would react. Yeah. Looking for the dog that was absolutely mentally solid. And, and if it wasn't, how fast it would recover. You know, and that means that you, yeah. and that means in any litter. If you're talking about hunting dogs and if you're talking about uh, service dogs, uh, a dog, a puppy that has an issue but then recovers quickly, that's trainability. Yeah. That's trainability yeah. in that puppy. You yeah. know, that's something definitely to look for. It, so, so was he looking at a reaction from the puppy or just non-reaction? Because I'm curious, like if a dog react. paid – I'm sorry? I'm sorry. They're, they're all going to react. So right. there, there was um, uh, one of the founders in NAVDA, Boda Winterhouse. So, so what he would do is, yeah, <laughs> he, he would uh, go up to um, a whelping box. And if the owner wasn't looking, he would kick the whelping box. And they all, <laughs> scare all the puppies. And, and, and which puppy recovered the fastest is what he noted. You okay. know, I, I think that was his whole idea with the umbrella. Yeah, gotcha. you, you, this... this going to be something a sound or something that dogs show sensitivity the some of the bold ones just seem to get over it real quickly some of them a little tentative but some of the things you see in the welcome box that's really kind of neat and it's it's in their play when they're independent um some dogs like they'll get tired and they'll go cuddle with one another there's always some dogs that seem to want to hang with the group 
where other ones would be over in the middle of the room playing with a, a bottle. Because we're constantly throwing, th- I throw feathers. I mean, we are constantly throwing things in into the welcome bottle. So they got them in their mouth. They got feather in their mouth. They've, uh, we're constantly throwing things at them and seeing how they react to them. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. You well, what 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 are your what are your thoughts on that? Like, how much are you weighing the independence versus dependency? You know, that there's an element of you want some independence, but you want the overly independent dog, and then it's like you want a pack animal, one that really depends on you, but you don't want the one that's always at your side, annoying the mess out of you. It's like, how do you really balance that out at that young of an age? Yeah. <laughs> We're all like, hey, I want in on this. <laughs> I'll start. <laughs> so, so what was interesting is if you talk about like, like water acclimation on, on puppies, you know, so, so what I like to do is I'll take a, um, a shallow brook and I'll go stand on the other side with the mother, you know, and what dog just comfortably walks across, but what dog is yeah. so concerned that it has to walk across? What dog is just like, yeah, okay, you're fine over there. I'm just going to go mess over here and I'll, I'll get to you when I want to. You know, <laughs> yeah. those are all the kind of things you're playing out. You know, that independence to, I can't leave you. If you're, if you're, you're the matriarch in, in the relationship when you're taking the puppy out for, for a walk and in, in the environment and you're trying to figure out, you know, is that puppy attached to me, the mother? and just stays close and just stays cute all the time. And I'm attached to you, or is that dog going to be independent? I don't care about you because there's amazing things out there and it's following its nose and it, and it's showing its independence, which is super important. So, I mean, when you're looking at a litter of puppies, you know, you're playing that balance. Like, yeah, that puppy keeps coming back to you and showing you love, but maybe that's not what you're, you, you should be looking at. All right. So, so Nick, within that litter that we're talking about, if you've done it right as a breeder, I had to pick a puppy out of 13 puppies last year, and it took me seven weeks to pick that puppy. So that is a good litter because right. not one bold puppy that stuck out. There was no one hiding in the background that stuck out. They were all uniform puppies. So that's what you want. You want it difficult, and you want it no matter which puppy you pick. You you know as the puppy person you got the best puppy and that's what you're looking for. So tell me what was your moment? Uh the spot on the neck. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I tell you, you can't get by it. <laughs> Remember Raven? It was Berkeley Saddle. It's uh, awful. There and we then, go. You know, there it is. Ninety nine percent pick on what they look like. No, no. Oh, God. <laughs> Patty, if it makes you feel any better, my, my last puppy I picked was my Munstie. And I, I, I found the breeder and I, she knew my goals. And after a few pictures and videos, you know, it, she, she kind of, we, we narrowed it down to two. She pretty much said, look, these two are going to fit for you. And, uh, it, I'm good either way. I was trusting the breeder. So I let my wife pick. I'm like, Hey, you can pick whichever one you want. And she picked off of color. And so that now we got, we there got you. Lucy, you, uh, you know, she let me have a dog. And so I'm like, here you go. You get, you get to make the selection, but really it was two out of, that was a big litter. It was like 15 pups. So it was two oh. pups out of 15 that she got to pick from. <laughs> I, I usually tell the breeders, I says, uh, who, who's going to be the predominant owner on this dog, you know? 
in, in most cases, it's the husband that's getting permission from his wife to have a dog. Yes. <laughs> right? So I said, leave the kids and wife at home. Because if they come and they name a particular puppy, you're, you're not going, with going to get away from it. Yeah. <laughs> but then also you have to ask, and y'all talked about it last week, how many times are those guys that they got permission from their wife to get the puppy, but the puppy turns into the wife's puppy and she's the one training it and hunting it. Oh my That's God. the best case scenario. That is a really good thing. Yeah. <laughs> where the mother goes and where the wife goes, so does the family. Yep. You know, that Absolutely. is the best case scenario right there. We have, <laughs> we have, I have in my litter, I have two, one, one wife is a standby, but I know she's doing most of the work and the other wife is right. She's doing all of it. And I think what happens in some households is, uh, cause we haven't gotten into contracts and what the reader re- requires of a owner when, a owner when they come test wise or, some people require people, You, if you buy one of our puppies, we would like to have the dog tested, and we'll provide you information on how to get it done. Well, the husband didn't like the idea of the testing, but the wife says, I don't care. I'll do it. Well, when we, well, of course, we provide training for these puppy people. When, they, when she showed up, the husband showed up, but guess who was on the end of the leash? <laughs> yep. That that is a really good thing to touch on, and I I didn't even really think about it. But you know, contracts. You know, that is kind of surprising for a lot of first time puppy buyers that that probably didn't talked on enough. Is the first time that they you know they're vetting, they develop a relationship with the breeder, and then when the breeder's like, okay, if you want to do this, you know, here here's a questionnaire or a survey or a contract like let's and, and they're kind of taken aback on some you know some breeders some breeders are real simple straightforward you know short sweet covers the basics and exactly what you want and then some breeders it's their it's their prerogative it's their right but it's a freaking 40 page contract sometimes and they ask for some crazy stuff it, it's their right but what would you advise a first time buyer to to really look for in a contract from a breeder, but also maybe if if you see this in a contract, maybe you should be kind of steer away from it a little bit. Well, I wouldn't say fear. I think one of the good things would be a, con- a breeder that's willing to stand by contractually if there is any genetic, phys- physical genetic issues um, that we, we have a, in our contract, we, we have a stipulation where uh, we will buy your puppy back. But if you wanted to keep your puppy and it, there is a genetic issue, but you didn't want to get rid of the puppy, we will pay you a neutering and you may keep the dog. Right. Um, but mm-hmm. we want to make sure that if there's anything that comes up, I mean, we've got to be responsible. You, you, you're you buying a product. So you want to look at those those contracts. What does the contract bring into as a buyer? What what is the service that contract's bringing to you? Well, one of the things is we require the dog, let's say, to run in a natural ability test or a DK test, and we what we'd like you to run them uh, in in an Avda natural ability test. Well, why do you want to do it? I don't care if you pass it or not. I want to see genetically what you do. But I I, I force those first year buyers at that. 
because the services, they're going to train the dog now. The dog is now going to be prepared for the field. It isn't like he's, oh, here's a puppy, he sat out in the front yard and he chases the kids for a little bit. And then, well, I, I think in September, I'm going to put him on a bird and, and then see what he's like. Well, I don't like how he acted on the bird. Well, you did nothing to develop the dog, you know. So we want that kind of commitment in our bias. And the service to the buyer is we're getting you off your butt. Yep. And we, we get, um, our, our tradition for many, many years has been they get a year free training. Sometimes it goes over till their naturability test or their DK um, derby test. But, you know, that's sort of, and it, it's, it's, it's kind of cool because they come back every week for a class. Most, we only sell puppies word of mouth. So a lot of them are local. They're not, many, many miles away. They're, they can commute within two hours and, and they come and they see what Joe Blow is doing next to them. And they got to go home and work harder. So it, it's like, it becomes a competition and it, it's all good. We get to see the puppies every week. We can steer them clear of major, major mistakes that they could be making training. We can keep that, you know, oh, they compare notes with each other. They're all dealing with the same genetics. So it just, it does work, you know, for them right. and for us, we get to See what we produce. And, and, you know, and that, that's, hold on. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. So one one of the uh, reasons we we breed, I mean, we we ask our our buyers to test is, you know, we get to see, especially in that young age, the naturability test or the derby, we get to see the the inherent capabilities in those dogs early on. You know, it's not about the 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 breeders award, or it's not about the 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 awards that go along with it. What it, what it's about is we get to move our breeding forward by seeing what we, what, what those natural abilities in those dogs are, you know, Absolutely. And sometimes missed, you know, I mean, they think it's about the breeders award. It's really not. We, we want to better our breeding and we see it at those young ages more than any age. Yeah. Absolutely. And that, that's kind of, I say it all the time. Uh, a lot of people, you know, they kind of get offended when I say, you know, in me, I would like to see the NA test run as early as possible with these puppies. As soon as they start showing the traits or tendencies, test them. You know, it, it, if you test it at the 16 months or, or later <laughs> during a virus year or whatever, you know, hey, it, you did what you got had to do. You got the test done. But, you know, it's like, at at what point does it really start turning into I just did it for the score as opposed to seeing what the dog's natural ability was, right? When when did you test She tested last fall. She's only one of the the whole group that tested last fall because then I answered her. I had to answer her before she was born. So she was like just under six months of age. So she did every she did she was doing well. She did well. She didn't like bumpers. She hadn't learned to like bumpers yet. So Good deal. That that testing requirement that that is probably one of the more common aspects of a contract from a breeder. But I I do try and tell everybody, especially if they're a first time buyer, that's kind of thrown off by a contract is kind of to Blaine's point is it protects both parties. You know, it, it, it's just as much to protect the buyer as it is to protect the the breeder and a good health certificate, a good testing requirement. It, it's really evident that the breeder has a vested interest in what it's throwing and what it's producing to move the breeding uh, forward. And if you really look at these contracts, most of them aren't absurd absurd or anything. They're not overreaching. I think I've only come across one contract that I, I've 
I think I was like, you know, I, I don't know if I could sign that one just out of principle because he got into how you could train the dog, what you could use to train the dog, how often you could train the dog. And I'm like, you know, that's that's a little overreaching on the breeder, in my opinion. But maybe you guys have a have a different thought process on that. I don't know. No, I, 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 I try. I try to think of my contract is, well, you figure, Nick, the first 163 days of a dog's life, he's going to learn 80% of what he knows for life, right? So my feelings are is how, how, how I know these people are going to be excited about having a new puppy, but keeping them activated is important. Right. And and sometimes because of distance, uh, maybe family situations, we're not going to be able to to provide them with that safety net. You know, this is something they're going to have to. But but if we don't put something in there to get them activated, um, we're not going to get a full understanding of what we're doing with our litters. So that's yeah. the whole object of it. So who, who benefits from it? we both do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate y'all making time again. You know, before I let you guys go, is there anything else that I missed that you guys wanted to touch on that, you know, it's, it's a good, good topic to bring up for any buyers, first time buyers, rebuyers, anything like that? No, I think, I think you, you, we hit on a lot of it. And uh, if there's ever anything you want to talk about, we can come on again and we can address those things for you too. Absolutely. I've always got something to talk about, so I'll have to take you up on that again sometime. Again, I appreciate it, Jason, Patty, Blaine. Uh, thank you for your time and, and your knowledge, and uh, I look forward to circling back and doing it again sometime. Okay, Great talking to you, Nick. See you later. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to GDIY. If you enjoy this podcast, please remember to take a moment to rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us and our partners on Facebook and Instagram under Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy the podcast and would like to contribute even more to the future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Gundog It Yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup just have to replace it again and year go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want if you're considering changing your dog's food soon then be sure to check out yukanuba pro performance their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance they also now have the new puppy formula to help your pups start strong and live active when looking at all the different food options remember yukanuba to help power their ultimate performance Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Duck's Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.